Yo, this is Sam Sports Podcast. I am Sam Rosenberg. Today is Friday, April 13th, 2018. We are one day away from the beginning of the 2018 NBA playoffs. What, what? Yo, I'm fucking excited. I'm very excited to see the Sixers win 50 games for the first time since 2001. I'm happy to see the Sixers host a playoff series for the first time since 2003. The Sixers are the number three seed above the Cleveland Cavaliers. Can you believe that shit? It is happening. It's real. Get with the fucking program. Um, Sixers are the three seed in the East, um, going up against the Miami Heat, who will be the sixth seed. And um, listen, I'm going to do today as a as an NBA playoff preview. Uh, I'm going to spend a lot of time talking about the Sixers and them going up against the Heat in the first round. I think it's a hell of a matchup, and it's probably one of the tougher matchups for the Sixers. I don't know if I like this. I would have been nicer if they went up against a team like the Wizards or the Bucks, who I think are in worse a worse situation than uh, the Heat. But, you know, it is what it is. We're going to have to break it all down. So, real quick, let me just give you a rundown of all the playoff series. And for those of you, I'm sure you guys know, but here's the scoop. Um, Toronto Raptors, Washington Wizards. Boston Celtics, Milwaukee Bucks, Philadelphia Sixers, Miami Heat, and then the Cleveland Cavaliers and the Indiana Pacers. In the West, you got the Houston Rockets and the Minnesota Timberwolves. You got the Golden State Warriors and the San Antonio Spurs, Portland Trailblazers, New Orleans Pelicans, and then the Thunder and the Jazz. Let's start off with the Sixers and the Heat. Probably one of the most exciting first-round series out there. Game one is tomorrow night, 8 o'clock Eastern on ESPN, so that's prime time. Uh, definitely going to be an appealing series for people to watch. Uh, it's official. The Sixers are not going to start the playoff series with Joel Embiid. He will miss game one. There's nothing saying he's going to miss game two, but he will miss game one. So this high-powered, fast-paced, Ben Simmons-led uh, Sixers team that we saw at the end of the season is going to be the same team we're going to see in at least game one of the playoffs. And now I'm going to drop a soundbite of me from the last couple of weeks ago predicting that the Sixers would win out for the entire season. That's right. As crazy as it sounded then especially right before Joel Embiid went down with an injury. I called them to win out for the rest of the season. They did that, knock on wood. I know it's a little ambitious to say it, but I'm throwing it out there, goddammit. They're playing really well. They're taking care of business, and I think they can keep this thing going. Go Sixers. They won 16 straight games. It is officially a franchise record for the Sixers and the best winning streak that any team has taken into the playoffs in NBA history. So... Get your shit together. This Sixers team is dangerous. That Philadelphia crowd is definitely tough to play against, and they're going to be scaring people because right now they're talking about the Sixers not just going to the Eastern Conference Finals, but possibly dethroning LeBron James and the Cavaliers and going to the NBA Finals this very year. A lot of people didn't see it happening with Simmons and Embiid, two guys who were essentially kind of de facto rookies. You know, I think there was an expectation that things were going to be improving for the Sixers. No one saw them being a 50-win powerhouse who might be favored to go to the finals. Um, but I digress. Sixers-Heat. This is a tough matchup because, listen, the Heat, they have enough guys on their team that they can play in more than one way. They can adjust. And you've got Eric Spolstra, one of the best coaches in the game. Because of all the coaches in the NBA... A lot of these coaches essentially do good work, but they are dependent upon the players on their team. And I really think that certain coaches such as Greg Popovich, Brad Stevens in Boston, and Eric Spolster in Miami, they are good enough coaches that they can affect change and they can affect wins simply by their coaching decisions. So number one, 
you're going up against a dangerous coach in Spolstra. Number two, the depth on Miami allows for them to kind of be adaptable. So you can bring in Kelly Olynyk off the bench. You can slam Whiteside against Embiid. You can have, you know, James Johnson guard Ben Simmons. Like, there's really been this discussion about having James Johnson or Justice Winslow guard Ben Simmons, two of these bigger guys who can actually throw some weight around against a large guy like Ben Simmons. Because one of the biggest things that works for Ben Simmons is his ability to muscle around the point guards who defend him because typically he's guarded by someone who he is bigger than he's able to look over uh, the, the defender and pass the ball. And you've seen Miami all throughout the season. And uh, the ringers, Kevin O'Connor uh, did an article about it today on the ringer where he discusses how justice Winslow and James Johnson really sag off of Ben Simmons. They give him so much room when he's at the three-point line because they know he can't shoot. They know he's either going to have to pass the ball or he's going to drive to the hoop, and you might as well just sit there and give him space to do it because if he drives to the hoop, you'll already be there once he gets there. So it's it's a smart way to play him, which is something we're going to see if as the playoffs resolve. As the playoffs play out, and teams get a chance to really game plan and look at teams and figure out, you know what, Ben Simmons, you do X, Y, and Z wrong. We're going to force you to do those things. We're going to force you to rely on those things. And it's even going to be interesting without Embiid the first game because we're going to have to see this fast-paced team that relies heavily on three-point shooting, but you're not going to see as much... um, I don't think you're going to see as many open threes from Bellinelli and Ilyasova and Redick. I think uh, Miami gives them a little bit um, of a tougher defensive assignment. Not to mention, you got Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade, as as old as he is, he's still dangerous. I mean, me and Dr. Mark Rosenberg went to go see the Sixers team in Miami play the Miami Heat on uh, Thursday, March 8th, and they lost that game. It was a close game. It was competitive. Embiid played. And let me tell you something. Embiid and Whiteside went head-to-head, and I think Whiteside won that matchup. And this was not just an easy game. This was a, this was a back-and-forth matchup where it got down to crunch time, and Dwayne Wade made a couple of huge shots, and all of a sudden Miami was running away with the victory. So this is not going to be a gimme. And, you know, guys like Tyler Johnson, guys like Goran Dragic, okay, they're going to create matchup problems for the Sixers. And one of the benefits, I think, to having Embiid off the floor is you've really gotten – or at least Simmons has gotten a chance to really flex his muscles. You know, he's really imposed himself as a superstar. You know, he's taken over running this offense a little bit more. And to think if Embiid comes back in and is able to sort of fit right back into this offense, it could be even more dangerous. And one of the issues that you saw when Embiid was in the uh, was uh, on the floor was that sometimes this Sixers team got away from their San Antonio Spurs-like ball movement and went back to sort of a throw the ball into Embiid in the post and just let him post up and go to work, a la Shaquille O'Neal. And sometimes the offense would slow down because of that. In a way, I think you got a chance to sort of let the offense thrive and grow and learn how to play with each other without having that post presence in Embiid. And now it's just going to be icing on the cake when he comes back because that ball movement's still going to be there, but when they need to feed it down low to Embiid, he'll also be there to damage them in that way. And you're going to have a post player who can block the ball because we saw this against LeBron James and the Cavaliers. When LeBron really got pissed about being down 30 points to the Sixers, he just went to the hoop. And Rashawn Holmes and Amir Johnson are not enough, they're not good enough rim protectors to make up for the lack of Embiid. And then you saw Cleveland sort of take advantage of the Sixers in the paint in that, in that way. 
you know, this could be something which plays out because Whiteside might just punish guys like Rashawn Holmes and Amir Johnson. And, you know, the the passing and the playmaking of Ben Simmons and the three-point shooting, you know, might not be enough to make up for the missing of Joel Embiid. So, I listen, I think this is going to be a hell of a series. Um, people have been saying that the Sixers are going to win in seven. I think the Sixers are going to win in six games. Uh, I, I, I think I think Miami is one of the more dangerous opponents out there, and it's going to be the best, the probably the most exciting first round series there is. But Philly is too hot; they're too good. They've got too many key pieces. I got a lot of faith in Dario Saric. I got a lot of faith in Justin Anderson, for that matter. I got a lot of faith in Ilyasova. I mean, these guys are playing at a high level, and with Simmons, with Embiid coming back, and Simmons clicking and and just on a hot streak right now. You know, I got to give my love to the Sixers. I know I'm a, I'm a homer and I'm always going to root for them, but it's hard for me to say that I really feel Miami's going to come out on top in this series. All right, let's jump back and forth east-west. Why not, huh? Let's uh, let's get more. Which What's the most exciting Western Conference series that you see right now? I'm, I'm looking at it. Personally, I think the most exciting series is probably going to be uh, the Thunder and the Jazz. You know, two very close, evenly matched teams. You've got a completely underachieving or excuse me, you got an underachieving Thunder team and an overachieving Jazz team. So a Jazz team that nobody was expecting too much from after Gordon Hayward left for free agency. But now, Gobert is back and healthy. Quinn Snyder's been one of the best coaches of the year. Definitely a candidate uh, for Coach of the Year. Um, Donovan Mitchell's been taking the league by storm. Is definitely right up there in competition with Ben Simmons for Rookie of the Year. And, you know, all of a sudden, this team that I think everybody was expecting to go to the lottery this year has been dangerous. And they've been dangerous for the last couple of months. And whereas these other middling, um, middle-of-the-pack teams uh, in the Western Conference have struggled to sort of set themselves apart, Utah has sort of shot up the standings and, ha- and has now become dangerous. Ricky Rubio, Jay Crowder, all of these guys are kind of fitting very well with this Jazz team, and they're dangerous. Now, you put them up against the Thunder. The Thunder, who should be a completely dominant team with Westbrook, Paul George, Carmelo Anthony. The story of the year has been, you know, Carmelo Anthony dropping off uh, the face of the earth. Paul George playing very, very well one month and then struggling the next month. And really the fact that Russell Westbrook is still Russell Westbrook, averaging a triple-double. And Steven Adams is probably the second best, third best player on the team behind Paul George. So I think the star power of the team and the ability for them to kind of clamp down in the playoffs is going to be the difference maker in this series because I think it's going to be tight. I think that I think the Thunder can win it in 6 games. I think they will win it in 6 games because I do they have home court. I think that they're going to they're going to, you know, hold serve in Oklahoma City. I think that is a tough place to play, but I do see the Thunder dropping games in Utah. I see Utah being able to take advantage of them. I see, you know, moments where Donovan Mitchell's going to go off and maybe score 35 points and as much as Paul George and Russell Westbrook want to shut him down, they might not be able to. Um, I really do see Utah being able to hold on their home court and this I think will go to I mean, I, I want, I'm saying the Thunder, you know what, not six. I'm going to say seven games because I don't think the Thunder are able to perform on the level that we can expect them to. You know, Carmelo Anthony has not been playing well defensively. Uh, you know, they're still missing Andre Robertson, who turned out to be such an amazing part of their team from a defensive standpoint. And Utah, on the other hand, has just been able to find ways to make things work from, you know, not a non-star power standpoint. You know, Rudy Gobert is amazing, and so is Donovan Mitchell, but it's the guys like Joe Ingles, 
Ricky Rubio, I mean, Royce O'Neal, like all of these guys who nobody really thought were going to be these key players on this Utah team are the difference makers here. And, you know, even so much as bringing in Jay Crowder, a guy who was underperforming in Cleveland, who has now found a pretty solid role with this Utah team. I mean, they're dangerous, but I just, I think that game seven in Oklahoma City, you're going to see Russell Westbrook go crazy and they're going to eke out the win and they'll probably win the series. That That's how I see this playing out with the Thunder. Now let's jump back to the Eastern Conference. Um, the next exciting series, I got to say, is going to be Cleveland-Indiana. It's going to be the Cavaliers going up against a pretty dangerous Pacers team. Oladipo's had one of the best seasons all year. He's, I mean, Bill Simmons is talking about him as, you know, you know, not the MVP, but an MVP candidate. He's probably been the best two-way player. He's played amazing defense for this team. And, you know, the Pacers, I think, have completely overachieved with every, you know, they've outshined everybody's expectations. Now, Cleveland's defense has been the, the talk of the town all season. It's been atrocious, and essentially all they try to do is they just try to outscore opponents. Now, can Indiana actually give them trouble? I think Indiana can give them trouble, and I think it's going to be a closer series than we think, but it's crazy because you got to say that LeBron is still LeBron, and the star power with Indiana is it's going to be hard-pressed for Miles Turner, Victor Oladipo, you know, I mean, who else can you name on that Pacer team who really, really scares you? You know, um, you know, Bogdanovich or, you know, um, uh, who, who am I thinking of? Uh, Thaddeus Young, some of these guys like Lance Stevenson. Are these going to be the difference makers that really clamp down defensively on the Cavaliers and shut down people like Kevin Love and are able to somewhat contain LeBron James? Like, is, is Lance Stevenson truly going to be able to contain LeBron James a la 2014 Eastern Conference Finals? I don't think so. I don't think that's going to happen. I think Oladipo is going to get his, but I do think the Cavaliers are going to outscore them. Uh, I think it'll be an interesting matchup because there's really no way to predict what the hell is going to happen. I mean, I'm picking the Cavaliers in six games because I think I think Indiana can hold serve on their home court, but I don't think they're going to be able to really take down LeBron in a seven-game series. LeBron is going to be able to will a few wins for the Cavaliers on his own. So I got to give my credit to... Um, Cleveland, you know, it's hard to bet against them, especially in the first round. I mean, I think they're, I don't think they're going to get to the finals, but I don't think it'll be the first round they get bumped in. Uh, let's jump back to the Western Conference. Now, the next series that I think is very interesting is the 3 6, the Blazers and the Pelicans, because this is also another interesting matchup. A little trickier, a little more dangerous than I think people would suspect. Um, the Pelicans have been completely under the radar good. You know, they were one team with DeMarcus Cousins. They've been a totally different team without him. And there is a belief that once DeMarcus Cousins went down and Anthony Davis was forced to play the center position, this team actually began thriving. Davis began playing like an MVP candidate. He's been absolutely lights out, out of his mind. Drew Holiday... I mean, listen, we can say all we want about his injury history, about how he couldn't stay on the court a couple of years ago. Hell, last year he was ready to practically sit out the entire season to be there for his wife. Instead, the Pelicans signed him to a $100 million deal, and this season he has earned his money. He's looking like the all-star he was when he was back in Philadelphia, and he is really a huge cog that makes this Pelicans team go. You combine him with Rajon Rondo playing like playoff Rondo, you say whatever the hell you want about Rondo. He is a different player in the playoffs. He is dangerous. The talent comes out, and he lets everybody know why he gets a one-year contract every single year. Throw in Miritich, who has been excellent on this Pelicans team, you know, and then you start to really wonder where do the other guys, you know, fit in? How are guys like Ian Clark, 
and um, Solomon Hill really going to benefit this team as, as the bench goes into a deeper rotation. Um, because then you look at the Blazers. You look at Damian Lillard, who's been playing out of his mind, C.J. McCollum, you, you know, you look at Nurkic, you look at the, uh, these other key pieces who have been really, really effective um, for the Blazers, and you say to yourself, you know, actually, as well as the Blazers have been achieving, you know, and this is something Bill Simmons said, they don't have the best player on the court. Anthony Davis is going to be the best player on the court. I would I, Listen, I'm going to say Anthony Davis is a better player than Damian Lillard. It's hard to compare the two of them, but I mean, they're both top 10 players in the NBA. Davis is probably four, and Lillard's probably six or seven, okay? So, it's a close matchup, but this is going to be really tricky, especially with Portland being a difficult place to play and with New Orleans having so much up and down history with their consistency. You know, the last time they were in the playoffs was a couple of years ago against the Warriors where they lost in the first round, but they did scare them a few times. And I don't think the, the Pelicans are playing the Warriors. They're definitely playing the Blazers. So I see the Pelicans as having an opportunity to steal a few games in New Orleans. And I see... Anthony Davis having the opportunity to actually take it to Portland in Portland as well. This is really a series where I think you're going to need Damian Lillard to have a 50-point game once or twice to really come out with a victory. This, I think, will be a seven-game series, and I see Portland eking it out. I just think they have a little bit more confidence and a little bit more playoff experience. Um, you know, as much as I, I don't want to doubt Rajon Rondel, he is one of the biggest irrational confidence guys, um, but McCollum and Lillard, combined with Nurkic and the way everyone else on that Blazers team has been playing. I love, um, I mean, I don't love Evan Turner, but I love Pat Connaughton. I love uh, Zach Collins. Like, I really think these guys have been great, great additions to this Blazer team, and they've really allowed them to achieve way more than I think anyone was expecting them to. I think this will go to seven games, and I, I'm going to give the benefit of the doubt to the Blazers. I think a game seven in Portland, you're going to see Portland's going to come out with the victory. Now, let's jump back to the East. Um, okay, now we're down to the Schlocky series. You got uh, Washington and Toronto, the 1-8, which I think is this is a 1-8 series that most people are pretty much like, who gives a shit? Washington, as exciting as they are with Beal and Wall, they've been dysfunctional for so long. John Wall has been in and out of the lineup. You missed most of the, the end of the season. He's come back at the very end, but, I mean, he's only played a couple of games. And, you know, there's dysfunction going on behind the scenes. Uh, and Gortat is always coming out and criticizing John Wall. Uh, there's been a real sense that it's his team and he just wants to go crazy. Um, but And then I got to point some fingers at Scott Brooks. I think he makes some questionable rotation decisions. And as much as the... Uh, the role players on this team, like the Kelly Oubre's and the Otto Porter's, have really been shining and sticking out. Guys like Wall and Beal sometimes don't really allow them to thrive and don't really create plays in a way that allow this team to dominate um, on the court, at least defensively. And so I see them as a lame duck coming into this playoff series. Toronto has been doing everything they want. They've, they've done everything we expected of them. They've changed their game this season. This is the best Toronto, Toronto team we've ever seen. DeMar DeRozan shooting three balls. Kyle Lowry is, is probably having his best season there. Uh, their, de their bench is coming out and shining. You know, Jakob Pertl, Pascal Siakam. You know, they're creating a little bit more of a stretched out offense, uh, which they really couldn't do with Valanchunas. Not like Valanchunas is gone. But they're understanding sometimes they got to stretch the floor more, and Valanchunas can't really do that for them. And so this is a more dynamic and adjustable Raptor team. 
However, the Raptors have a reputation for underperforming in the playoffs. They have a long streak of losing game ones, even if they're hosting the series. They had two straight years where they were the the favored team against the Nets and the Wizards, and they lost the first round of both of these series. And then finally, you know, they've kind of culminated with actually getting to the Eastern Conference Finals two years ago and losing to the Cavaliers. And then last year, they lost to the Cavs in the second round. So they're still trying to get over the hump of beating the Cleveland Cavaliers. So there's this feeling of even though they're the one seed, even though they've had their best season in five years, even though they're playing this Wizards team, who's to say that they can actually come in and take care of business? The Raptors have really had a problem taking care of business in the playoffs. Now, they've been able to do it. Okay, last year, though they struggled, they won playoff series. They have been able to achieve some success. But people are really wondering if they're actually going to be able to replicate it this year now that they, you know, even with all of this hype, even with being the one seed, can they truly replicate that success? And, I mean, listen, I think it's enough to beat the Wizards. The Wizards are just, they have better star power in Washington, but I think they're too dysfunctional. They're coming in too cold, and they've played too little time with John Wall for me to think that they're going to actually scare the Raptors. I, th- I think that, I think that the, the Wizards are going to win two games and lose the series in six. All right, I, if, if I had more faith in Toronto, I would say Toronto could win it in five games. But I actually think that John Wall and Bradley Beal will be able to win two games on their own. And so that's why I'm picking the Raptors to come out of this in six games. Now let's jump back to the, the Western Conference. Um, this is a series which apparently everybody's disinterested in, but I'm very interested in it, is the Golden State Warriors going up against the San Antonio Spurs. Very, very different matchup from the Western Conference Finals last year. This Warriors team is uh, damaged. They have not looked nearly as tenacious or aggressive or as throat-stompy as they have been in the past couple of seasons. This year, you know, they look mortal. Steph Curry is hurt. He's, he's essentially, they're saying, just as hurt as he was two years ago when he fucked his knee up in the first round of the playoffs. He's hurt, and he's not playing, and he's not going to come back until at least round two, maybe even round three. Kevin Durant is Kevin Durant, but, I mean, you know, actually, I don't think Kevin Durant's the problem. Draymond and, and Clay, I don't think, have really been as dominant as they have been in years past. I really do feel like the Warriors are sort of resting on their laurels a little bit and sort of like, you know what? Fuck it, let's just get to the playoffs, and then we'll turn it on. There's this feeling like they're just going to be able to turn it on and they'll just be able to suffocate whoever they deal with. I also need to mention, and I, um, Bill Simmons and Ryan Rossillo mentioned this on the Bill Simmons podcast today as well, um, the rotation for the, um, the Warriors is not good. They used to have a very deep rotational bench, which made it even more dangerous when their starters went off the floor. You know, they had guys like Bogut, they had... Um, you know, Iguodala, they they had uh, Sean Livingston, they, they had all the, you know, Leandro Barbosa, these guys coming off the bench and sort of, you know, keeping things, you know, up and, you know, keeping the pressure on even as they went to the B team. Now, I don't really feel as positive about their rotational guys. You know, you're seeing Zaza, uh, you're seeing... Um, Oh God! What the hell, JaVale McGee? Uh, but which which is fine. But now I'm seeing a lot more Kevin Looney. I'm seeing a lot more Nick Young, Swaggy P. Um, I'm seeing you know Quinn Cook is a major piece of their rotation now. I'm not saying he's bad, but I'm just saying these are new faces who have not thoroughly been integrated into this rotation in a complete and sort of seamless manner. You know, guy Sean Livingston, Iguodala, these guys are still there, but I'm not seeing the same performance as I saw a couple of years ago. This and you know, Jordan Bell is one of the better guys that they brought in. He's their he's their rookie this year. I, I just this team does not feel dangerous to me. And in the last couple of years, they felt like a mountaintop that no one could climb. Whereas now, 
I, I mean, listen, I could see them losing to the Rockets in the Western Conference Finals. I can absolutely see it. Now let's talk about the Spurs. Now they're going up against the Spurs, who have no Kawhi Leonard, who have the best player being LaMarcus Aldridge. You got Parker, Ginobili, Gasol, a whole bunch of old guys. Rudy Gay is going to be playing. Uh, you know, I think the real exciting pieces are guys like DeJounte Murray, who's been playing great basketball. Um, you know, uh, oh, um, what's his name? Danny Green, I really think, has been playing some great basketball as well. But this is probably the least dangerous Spurs team we've seen in 20 years. It's the truth. Duncan is retired, and Kawhi Leonard was out all year, and he's not going to play this season. And you're looking at a situation where this Spurs team is limping into the playoffs as well after they got blown out by 20 points in the last game of the season against the Pelicans. And you're seeing this Spurs team go up against a Warriors team. Both of these teams are limping into the playoffs. And I just think it's strange how such a highly anticipated clash of the Titans that was happening last season is now an NBA TV matchup that's going to come on at 3 o'clock Eastern on Saturday. That's going to kick off the playoffs because it's the least interesting time slot. 3 o'clock Eastern on Saturday, that's where they put the dog shit game. So this do- this game with Kevin Durant and, and LaMarcus Aldridge and, and Clay Thompson, this is going to be the first game of Saturday? I, I just... I'm excited to see this series, and apparently nobody else wants to watch it. So, um... I can't pick the Spurs in this series. Uh, I'm going to pick the Warriors in six just because I think Greg Popovich is enough to win two games. And I think the Warriors, as much as they think they're going to turn it on, without Steph Curry, this is a different team. It's a different team. They've got to play differently. And you know what? They're just not as lethal. And I know Kevin Durant's one of the best players on the planet, but they're just not as lethal without Steph Curry. And when they're not lethal like that, it's going to be a struggle to get through this first round against a team like the Spurs. The Spurs are not a pushover. you got to work on that team. You've got to honestly go toe-to-toe with them, even though they don't have the same talent. They're going to make you earn it. It's like playing the Miami Heat. This is not going to be an easy out for the Warriors. You know, uh, if they were playing the Timberwolves, it would be a different story, but it's not the case. Um, I'm picking the Warriors in six. Now, last series in the East, Boston Celtics going up against the Milwaukee Bucks. This is a fucking joke. Milwaukee has been an absolute train wreck pretty much most of the season because I don't think Kevin uh, Jason Kidd was doing that great job of coaching. You know, they fired Kidd. Now Joe Prunty is, gonna, is the coach. You know, this is Giannis and a whole bunch of other guys. As soon as Giannis leaves the floor, they're a shell of who they are. They really try to be dangerous. They try, they don't play strong defense. You know, Jabari Parker is, is good offensively, but, I mean, he suffers from his injuries on the defensive end. I just see this team as underachieving, and it's a real shame because Giannis is probably one of the best. He's going to be the best player in the series. He's going to, you know, with Kyrie Irving and Gordon Hayward not playing for Boston, and this is a Boston team that's dealt with nothing but injuries all season. They got no Kyrie Irving. They got no uh, Gordon Hayward. They got no Marcus Smart. You know, essentially, you're going to be dealing with a backcourt of probably like Shane Larkin and Terry Rozier. And you're going to have the the big the the most notable player for the Celtics you're going to be seeing is Al Horford and Jason Tatum. I mean, those guys are the ones who are going to go out there and go head to head with Giannis Antetokounmpo and this Bucks team. Now, because the Bucks team I think is such a shell of a real team, uh, Boston is actually favored in this series, and I'm actually going to give Boston the benefit of the doubt. I think even without, um, because I think Giannis is the best player. But without coaching, it's going to be hard for him to overcome this Celtics team. I think Brad Stevens is a good enough coach to take a bunch of role players on this Celtics team and win this series. Um, I'm actually going to say Celtics in six because I don't think the Bucs have enough coaching and enough personnel 
to take this Celtics team to seven games. I think the I think the Celtics are going to take out the Bucks in six games, and that's saying more about the Bucks than it is about the Celtics. Um, and again, I'm not too interested in watching the series. No offense, Bill Simmons, because I, I know you're listening, Bill. Um, but I don't really see the the Celtics doing much in this series. They're going to take care of business more so for Brad Stevens than anyone else's talent. Um, last series in the West. 1-8, Houston Rockets going up against the Minnesota Timberwolves. Um, listen, the Rockets are the favorite to win the championship this year. I'm kind of picking them to win. I think they actually have enough to take out the Warriors. Um, Minnesota, listen, they they I know they had that exciting end-of-the-season win against the um, Denver Nuggets, but this is a team that has struggled to figure out how to get the most out of their stars. Jimmy Butler's done everything for this team. Carl Anthony Towns hasn't been utilized enough, and Andrew Wiggins can't seem to step up and actually, you know, earn the contract that he's been given. This team is is the ultimate underperforming team. I think Tom Thibodeau is not the strongest coach. I think he uses his starters way too much. Um, I don't think Jordan Crawford, uh, Jordan Crawford, I don't think Jamal Crawford has really been the piece that they wanted him to be. Taj Gibson is fantastic, but... There's just a lot of flaws with this Minnesota team. I mean, Derrick Rose, come on now. So when you put them up against this Rockets team, who is an absolute juggernaut, I mean, I think the Rockets can sweep them. I really do. I really think you can see Houston beat this team in four round, in four games, you know, even without Luke and Bob Butte. Now, you know, the Rockets losing in Bob Butte is bad because he has got a separated shoulder. He's going to miss the whole first round of the playoffs, and he's one of their best rim protectors. Now, I'm not saying Clint Capella is bad, but I'm saying in Bob Butte is a big, big piece of that team, a little bit more than Nene, you know, a little bit more than all these other guys. Um, but Trevor Ariza, you know, Ryan Anderson, Eric Gordon, and Chris Paul. Chris Paul and James Harden are fucking lights out. And against a Timberwolves team, I just think they're going to chew them up and spin them out. I'm not really going to be watching much of that series because, again, I feel like I don't need to watch anything till game three or four when they're really closing out this team. And if Houston struggles against Minnesota, which I don't think they will, I mean, that's going to be the thing that really raises an eyebrow. Houston is at a point where they either need to make the finals or win the championship or it's a lost season. That's the reality of it. And Minnesota, I'm sure they're feeling themselves because they got in the playoffs for the first time since 2004. But listen, it's a, it's a, it's a process, <laughs> as we say in Philadelphia. And this is just one more step of the process. So good job. Did a great job moving up the, moving up the food chain. But you better late till next season and try to make any more noise beyond the first round, uh, Minnesota. Uh, that's it. I'm getting out of here. Thank you very much for listening to my uh, – NBA playoff preview, NBA playoffs start tomorrow. Um, thanks a lot. Uh, you can subscribe to Sam Sports Podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. Like my Facebook page, Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Instagram at Sam Sports Station. Follow me on Twitter at SmithFaceJones. You can also email me at SamSportsStation at gmail.com. If you have any comments, questions, or you just want to tell me to go fuck myself, email me there. You know, I don't mind. I'd love to hear from you. Um, but in the meantime, Enjoy tonight. It's the last day off before the NBA playoffs because that first round of the NBA playoffs is an absolute smorgasbord of games that just happen every single day, all the time. By the time we get to round three and four, all of a sudden you're going to have one game for every four or five days. So the next couple of days, get your fill. You're going to have an absolute saturation of playoff basketball. It's one of the best times of the year. All right, but I'm getting out of here right now. Go Sixers. I predict they win game one even without Joel Embiid, but it's going to be a hell of a show. I'll talk to you next week to recap and come back about these games, and uh, we'll continue to uh, see how the playoffs unfold. Take it easy. Bye-bye.